0: Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Every year when we arrive at Advent, it's an opportunity to understand the story, the significance of Jesus' coming. We wait in anticipation for him to arrive. We prepare ourselves and our hearts to hear the story afresh because it gives us certainty and hope in our faith. And we wait just as the people before us did. At the end of the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, we end with this hope of a Messiah to come. But 400 years pass in silence. In darkness, no prophet is risen up, no word from God, nothing to indicate that change may come. The darkness feels heavy and endless, but the hope of the sun rising awaits its people. They pray and seek for the Messiah to arrive. And as the sun rises and creeps through a clay window, lands softly on a young girl's face, the warmth of it waking her as it does every morning, She leans over and kneels beside her straw bed, assumes that posture of prayer and adoration that she does every morning and lifts her voice and her heart to Adonai to pray and give thanks for a new day but also to cry out as people, her people, had done thousands of years for that 400-year gap, for that waiting for the Messiah, to pray for God to intercede and to come. She knows the weight of this, the significance, living under the rule of Rome. Her name represents the fear and the frustration. It means bitterness and rebellion. Her name is Mary. She carries that as her people, but she sits every morning praying to God, asking for the Messiah to come, for the new kingdom to emerge. And this morning is no different. As soon as she finishes this silent but earnest prayer, the words only just drifting from her mind, she recognises there's a presence in the room and turns to find someone standing there. And he says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And Mary is astonished and wonders and thinks to herself, What kind of greeting is this? The man says, do not be afraid. You have found favour with God, Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary pauses, taking it in. The words feel familiar to her. She's a child of the chosen people. She knows the stories. Jesus was a common name at that time; it meant savior. But there's other descriptions. The man just broke out. These words are ruminating in her mind: "Son of the Most High God, throne of David, kingdom will never end." That's what he said. They're messianic signs. Could this be the time? What she's been praying for. What her people have been crying out for. The Messiah. She looks up and asks the inevitable question, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the man says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will become, be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive in her six months for no word, will ever, no word of God will ever fail. Again, Mary sits with these words as they echo in her room and in her mind and in her heart. What does this mean? Something rises in her. A warmth begins to emerge over her, just like the sunlight that landed on her face in the morning. Something rises. Her spirit sings. She thinks to herself of the prophets that have spoken of this before. Isaiah's words land in her mind. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Is this that moment? Mary ponders it and holds it as she stands before this man, before Gabriel, an angel of the Lord. Could the kingdom be coming? Could this be the answer? to the thousands of prayers that have been lifted and spoken. Mary doesn't hesitate. She responds to Gabriel and says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And Gabriel leaves. What a significant moment. Mary, who represents, her name represents that bitterness, that cry, that rebellion, is met by Gabriel and given a promise that the kingdom is coming. And how does Mary respond? It's a beautiful reflection of someone who was so faithful. Mary's response is one of faith and continues to be. The word faithfulness in the Hebrew is emet, And the words we use to describe it are reliability, steadiness, and trustworthiness. As you read this account, as you sit in the story of Mary, you realise she emulates these things. Mary models faithfulness for us. And what I really love about this story is its humble beginnings. There's something that we can learn from this, that we can find ourselves in, that we can sit alongside Mary as she receives this news. Gabriel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. She knows her people are favoured. She is a part of the nation Israel. God's favour has been upon this nation throughout the Old Testament. His presence went with them in the garden, with Moses on the mountain, in the temple. God has promised to be with them, but he has sent Gabriel and says it to Mary, I am with you. You are a favoured child of mine. And the significance comes because we recognize Mary's standing is a very small one. God has bypassed Judea, he's bypassed Jerusalem, he's gone past the temple, and he's chosen a despised town to find a young girl, maybe 12, 14 years old, a girl that just faithfully serves in her father's house, who is to be betrothed to Joseph, a carpenter, who people wouldn't notice as they passed on the street. You can imagine Mary feeling the weight of this, perhaps even feeling inadequate. Who am I? I don't know the scriptures. I don't serve in the temple. I am a woman. I have no standing. I have nothing to offer. I have only lived these few years. She is feeling inadequate. This humble young woman has been met by God. Adonai, the king of the universe. And Gabriel's words continue to cut into that inaccuracy. As he said, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. And she remembers when God has said that before to her people in the past, to women of standing, women like Tamar and Rahab, Bathsheba and Ruth, faithful women, although they didn't always get it right, God still used them. Mary didn't need to be adequate. She needed to accept. As she stood before Gabriel, she didn't have to prove herself. God saw her. She had to accept what he saw. Sometimes that is how we feel. Maybe that's how you feel, inadequate. But the invitation is to accept his grace and his presence, as he's done for his people for such a long time. We don't need to be adequate. We need to accept. God uses the humble, the hidden, the unexpected in his plans. He wants to use your life just as much as mine. And we don't have to prove ourselves in that. His grace and mercy is what marked the lives of the women, that we read about in this passage, of the men and women that we read about in the Bible. And Mary chose to accept it from God. In verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. She recognised her identity before God. She was seen by him and she offers herself, accepting it as a servant. Maybe today this is your prayer. Lord, I accept that I'm seen and known by you, and I choose to serve you. Mary models this faithfulness in a number of ways. As I just said, God sees her heart, and we've read about this. We've talked about it in the series just God and David in 1 Samuel when He is leading Samuel to find a new king, and He says to him, oh, I see the heart of them. I see the heart of my people." He saw Mary's. He knew this of her. He knew that she wasn't a woman of standing. But what did he see in her heart? This faithfulness. If you look at the text, she asks a question of how will this be? And this isn't a question of doubt. It's actually a question of just understanding. God, I believe you will do it. I believe you will do it. But how will you do it? Mary mirrors God's faithfulness back to him. He's turned up, he's come towards her, he trusts her. And so she says, I believe who you say you are, and I trust you. How will you do this? The posture of her heart, the way she came before God, something that she's done since childhood, not just in this moment, but her heart growing up made it space open for God's grace. Her heart was open towards him. Grace made space for something to be planted in her, something to emerge from her. In Romans 15, 8 to 9, Paul says that Jesus came on behalf of God's faithfulness. In that moment, when Mary offers up her heart, God places that seed, Jesus, faithfulness, the representation of that in her. He trusts her to carry that. And grace is what made that open, that space possible. This child that she will bear that she will nurture, that she will carry, represents God's faithfulness. It will grow in her. Mary believed God's word and trusted him to fulfill it. In this time, in this season, what has God planted in you? What seed has he placed in you? As you accepted his grace, as you trust him in them. Because the seed of faithfulness grows through our belief and trust in him. Just as Mary did in her faithfulness, she believed what God had said and she trusted that he would bring it about. And that faithfulness, Jesus, grows in that space. And we are designed to also carry and allow the faithfulness of God to carry Jesus through our belief and trust in God. At that time, after Mary's heard these words, she's quick to action. She gets ready. She prepares herself. She thinks, I need to visit Elizabeth. I cannot believe that she is pregnant. I can't believe that that's happened. This, this woman who is so much older, what a miracle that is. Gabriel had visited Elizabeth and Zechariah six months before he visited Mary. These are faithful men and women of God. It says in the text in Luke that they were righteous. Again, not that they were perfect, they got things wrong sometimes, but Zachariah was a priest, a godly man, and Elizabeth was faithful. But they were barren, crying out, desiring to have a child, but were in their older age and had let go of that dream. But Gabriel visits them. He visits Zechariah in the temple and tells him that he will have a son, that he will raise a son that Elizabeth will conceive, his name will be John, and he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Mary is excited to go and spend time with Elizabeth. So she packs everything up and she makes her way. It's a three- to four-day journey from where she is. And you can imagine on the way the words of Gabriel just ringing around in her head, faithfulness just merging and growing in her as she walks those paths. The sacred scriptures, the prophetic utterances, could this be the change that they've all been waiting to come? Could she be carrying the Messiah? You can't even imagine what was going through her mind or the excitement that was building. She's also completely unaware of how this is going to take place. There are some big gaps in the next little bit. How does she hold that? What does that look like as she journeys? on her own to meet her relative. She knows that her story might be questioned by others. In fact, we read in Matthew that Joseph, her husband-to-be, questions it. It is not until he is visited by Gabriel that he sees that this is of God. Mary also knows that the penalty for adultery is death. What will society think of her? What will they do to her? She carries this alongside that word of God the tension, the the weight of this, and also knowing the weight and the growth of God and Jesus and his faithfulness in her as she makes this journey. News wouldn't have reached Elizabeth yet. After she falls pregnant, she goes into a seclusion, we're told, in verse 24 of Luke 1. And so she doesn't know that Mary's coming. And as soon as Mary arrives, as she steps over the threshold into their house and cries out to Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps as she hears the voice of Mary. And she exclaims to Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored? The mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. You can imagine Mary's joy in hearing and being greeted by Elizabeth, embraced not just by her hands and her heart and this home, but actually by her words that affirm that the Messiah is growing in her. Elizabeth speaks this out prophetically. She's not heard the news. She doesn't know what happens. But as soon as she encounters Mary's presence and the presence of God that dwells in her and that is growing in her, her response is praise and confidence and trust and a declaration of the Messiah to come. How good is God that Mary holds this weight, but she is encouraged and supported by those around her. Elizabeth, there as a companion, as they sit for months growing these children, trusting in the promises of God, these miracles that have happened. Elizabeth highlights Mary's faithfulness in her statement. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And it's amazing to see Mary's response. Who knows what she would have been wrestling with as I shared. But in the text, what is Mary's cry? What does she say when she sits before Zechariah and Elizabeth, having weighed all these things in her mind, having received this word of God? In Luke 1, 47 to 55, she actually sings praise to God. Let me read it to you. This is her response. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. It's actually an incredible declaration of the gospel, yet to be lived out. Again, a prophetic utterance. This beautiful theological statement and this confidence in God emerges from Mary, this twelve young lady, 12-year-old maybe, isn't trained in scripture but is immersed in the biblical worldview because she has spent hours sitting at a dinner table hearing her father read scriptures. She's gone to the synagogue and heard the power of who God is. And her heart reflects this. It says her soul and her spirit cry out and speak of who God is. There is something deep within her that this is her response to what God is doing. It is not fear. It is not confusion. It's actually adoration of God. She held these things in her heart. And she uses these things to define where she is right now, to anchor her. She sits with Elizabeth and Zachariah and speaks of this, and they dwell together in this truth. She's not going to have the knowledge to know how to navigate what comes next. But she remembers the scriptures of Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. She knows that he will lead the way. And as she remembers these scriptures, as she remembers God's faithfulness, she sits with Elizabeth and Zechariah and they talk about who God is and what he's done. As she said, generation after generation, that faithfulness in her builds and grows. Jesus is growing in her. Because in remembering, we carry God's faithfulness into the present and allow it to pave the past for the future. That is what Mary does here. That is what we are called to do as we remember our story throughout the biblical narrative. We bring that faithfulness of God into our present because he is still the same. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever, as our scripture tells us. That not only that, it then paves the way for the future, We don't have to work it out. We don't have to worry about what's coming next. Mary was faithful in this and we are called to also remember and step into that faithfulness. It's also powerful to see that the way that Mary allowed this faithfulness to be shaped in her was God's way, through his word, through his leading. She doesn't know what's going to come next, as I've said. There are some things that she doesn't know how to navigate. She's never given birth before. How does she deal with all the conversations when she's back in her hometown? What does it look like to speak to her parents, to sit with Joseph, to raise a child, to care for the son of God? What will this mean not just for now but for years to come? But Mary doesn't dwell on these things. She doesn't look to her circumstances to understand who she is or what's important to hold on to. No, because her faithfulness was not formed by the world, but by his way. She recognised her part to play. She stepped into that part of history to continue on the faithfulness of God, to carry it forward, just as many had done before her, In her words, may your word be fulfilled. That is what she says back to God. She offers her life and trusts his way, your word, to be fulfilled. And that is what shapes her. That's what leads her on. Mary models faithfulness for us. And in this time of Advent, as we come to remember the story, as we step into it ourselves, we're invited to mirror that faithfulness back to God, to be like Mary, to accept God's presence now as Jesus comes, to grow in our trust, to allow our hearts to believe and trust in God and allow that seed of faithfulness to emerge and grow and develop just as Mary did, to remember God's faithfulness in the past. That's what we do in Advent. We remember who God has been. Because we need to recognize his faithfulness now as we find ourselves at the end of another crazy year. What is God doing? He is faithful in this moment. It gives us perspective for the present and helps us pave the way for what's next. No matter what circumstances may come, we know that God will be faithful. And finally, allowing his faithfulness, his way to form us, to form in us, just as Jesus was formed in Mary, so too our faithfulness needs to be formed by him. And we carry that story, not just in our carols, not just as a story remembered, but we carry it in ourselves and express that faithfulness through our lives. That's the invitation in Advent.